Hi there. I'm Lee Redhead, a writer and member of Sisters in Crime Australia. Welcome to Scarlet Stiletto Bites, scintillating short stories by Australian women. Our weekly podcast is designed for busy lives. Each murder mystery is short, but not always sweet. Expect twisted tales, quirky humour, imagination, and a frisson of feminism. Sisters in Crime Australia's Scarlet Stiletto Awards were established in 1994 to unearth criminal literary talent. We're producing these podcasts of winning stories to celebrate the sisters' 30th anniversary ceremony in Melbourne in late 2023. The concept designer and narrator is fellow sister, actor, barrister, broadcaster, and best-selling true crime author, Susanna Lopez. Hello, Susanna here. Can someone really be killed with kindness? And can committing a crime ever bring contentment? Today's story sheds some light. 2009 Scarlet Stiletto winner Persia Bloom by Amanda Wrangles. Persia Bloom is my real name. Seriously, it it says so on my passport, birth certificate, everything. I love it. How many people can lay claim to a name like that? Well, maybe my brother. His name is Cyrus J. Bombay. No middle name, just J. And don't you dare forget it. Obviously, our mother is very creative. Or a little nuts. Cyrus and I are close, born only 11 months apart. He owns a very well-known jewellery studio just a few streets from my place. I see him as often as I can. He's a jeweller of the very arty, expensive kind. The kind that makes those weird pieces celebrities wear on the red carpet. Me? I'm a hairdresser. Or hairstylist, as Cyrus would insist. He's flamboyant, a little out there, while I'm the quiet one, more reserved. He can also do hair, almost as well as I can. But that's okay, my talents lay elsewhere. Sure, I can cut and colour alongside the best of them, but I don't have any illusions about myself. That's not why I'm booked months in advance. And it's not why my little suburban shopping centre salon is so successful. I'm not super trendy or outrageously glamorous like many of my peers. In fact, I'm I'm kind of mousy. No, what makes me stand out from the crowd are my people skills. As a hairdressing apprentice, you're required to spend a day a week at trade school. You'd be amazed at how much geometry is involved with a great haircut. It all comes down to angles. Then there's the chemistry of colours and perms. If your hairdresser doesn't know her disulfide bonds from her medulla, you're in trouble. This is what you learn at trade school, along with design, some biology and 
people skills. I was first introduced to the concept of people skills on my third day of school. My fellow first years and I hung up our spiky setting rollers and tail combs for a textbook and pen. The tiny room was stark, with a few outdated hair posters carelessly pinned to the walls. Laminated tables and plastic orange chairs formed a U-shape around a television trolley. The room was stuffy, the air conditioning set too high. I began to yawn immediately and wondered how I was going to stay awake through a dull video on people skills. (laughs) We'd all scoffed at the idea of an entire subject devoted to something that was supposed to come naturally to hairdressers. (laughs) What a waste of time. Most of us had spent the last six months learning how to give the ultimate shampoo. That's the easy part. Not sending a torrent of water down someone's back to their underpants is the hard bit. Believe me, it happens to us all, hopefully only once. If you haven't got the people skills to talk your way out of that one, you shouldn't be in the job. Hint, you can never apologise too much. Always accept the blame. There is no such thing as a neck that's too skinny or a spine too stiff to fit into a hard, plastic neck basin. Even if the client sits up unexpectedly, it is always your fault. So you could say the opening sequence of the video took me by surprise. Actually, it was more of a whack, kapowie, as in the old Batman television show. The perfectly coiffed presenter explained with perfectly rounded vowels that we belong to an elite group of professionals who touched other people. I I don't mean sentimentally, I mean literally, as in the physical. Doctor, dentist, physio, hairdresser. There's only a handful more. We allow, or by the very nature of these jobs, demand physical touch. Humans don't usually like our personal space being invaded, part of our animal instinct. The intimacy freaks us out. It was the most startling thing I learned in a four-year apprenticeship. It also explained a hell of a lot personally, like my whole life. As a kid, I I didn't realise there was anything different about me. I thought everyone had weird and wacky names like mine. I also thought it was normal to feel other people's emotions. I'm an empath. That much I'd figured out long ago. I'd read the New Age books, I'd trawled the internet, searching for a name, a, a definition to what I felt. What I didn't understand until that day at trade school was my trigger. From my research, I'd learnt there are all kinds of empaths, that is, people who feel the emotions of others. Some empaths are extremely sensitive, hardly daring to venture out in public, lest they take on the emotions of 
someone on a major downer. They might only have to walk past them on the street or make eye contact on a crowded train and the poor empath is drowning in contagious despair. Others don't even realise there's anything unusual about themselves. They just naturally trust their instincts and how they feel about others. The whole, there's just something not right about him but I can't put my finger on it type of empath. Me, I'm somewhere in between. Luckily, I don't take on other people's moods. I just feel them physically on my skin. When I was little, I could only differentiate between three emotions. Happy, sad, angry. Well, they're probably the most obvious anyway, written all over the wearer's face. No big deal, and no realisation back then that there was anything unusual in what I felt. I thought everyone experienced the gentle tickle of butterflies against their skin if they were with someone happy. Anger is not as nice and gives me instant pins and needles in my feet and hands. I tend to stay rooted to the spot in the presence of anger, not moving to avoid the pain. Sadness is worse, though. It's a cold, wet towel draping my shoulders, heavy as it clings. Sadness takes the longest to shake off, so to speak. Adolescence and puberty brought a lot more than the usual hormonal issues with them. I began to recognise a whole tumult of new emotions. Imagine being able to actually feel when someone dislikes you. Prickles of little black ants run through my scalp to my neck. The intensity varies from uncomfortable for mild dislike to downright painful bull ant bites for hatred. Hint, this is not very nice when you have no choice but to spend nearly all your time with nasty hormonal teenage girls. On the other hand, teenagers spend plenty of time in love, feeling a warm, fluffy dressing gown just out of the dryer envelop your skin magically sends the ants away. All emotions are different and I learnt quickly which was which. Depression is like sadness, but so much heavier than that my limbs ache. Sympathy is a tender hand stroking my arm. Guilt is a cold metal object pressing against my chest. What I couldn't figure out was why some days were like um, being bombarded in a game of dodgeball and others were calm. Until that day in the people skills class. Touch. It was such a simple answer. I only felt it when I touched someone. I've got no idea why I hadn't been able to connect the dots until then. Maybe because even when I do touch, I don't always catch the emotion. Sometimes people are too busy thinking to be feeling. 
Study, work, concentration, they all get in the way. Calmness and daydreams don't show up on my radar either. And unless, of course, the daydream evokes more than mental time out. So why did I choose a career that forced me to be hit with a new emotion time and time again on a daily basis? Well, that's easy. I like it. I like having a little insight into my client's true self. I like the game I play, figuring out how to make them happy. Every day, I'm trying to beat my personal best. The sadder the client, the more I have to challenge myself to bring them out from under the towel. It's an eternal search for butterflies. I also like the hairdressing, the creative play. It helps to make my own mind wander. But that always comes second. My strength is in my people skills. My clients often tell me how special they feel after an appointment with me. They always seem to get just what they wanted, even if they hadn't realised they wanted it funny about that. The secret to a successful salon lies just as much in getting to know exactly what your client needs as it does in technical skill. No one would pay the most gifted hairdresser a penny if they were treated with hatred and contempt. Being treated like the most important person on the planet just for an hour even, is priceless. There is also nothing like the satisfaction you get after lifting someone out of the doldrums and making them feel spectacular. To be able to distract my client from the awfulness of their life is intoxicating. It's my drug of choice, my compulsion and my need. My success comes down to picking up the uncomfortable emotion, asking the right questions, then listening. Hint, the best people skill of all is to be a great listener. You, you don't have to be an empath to try it. Everyone likes to feel as though you are truly interested in their life dreams and, and theories on climate change. The trick is in finding the key that gets them talking about themselves. For example, trying to find a clue as to why the tender skin behind my knees is suddenly freezing with remorse is not easy. You have to build up to it. Imagine asking someone bluntly why there are fingers of grief wrapping around my neck slowly suffocating me. Grief hurts, but you'd be amazed how many people try to hide it. You need to find the right questions. You have to make that someone trust you, know that they can tell you anything in confidence. You have to let them in to know you in return. Well, that's what you let them believe anyway. I always give my clients just enough of the personal me for them to open up. And once their souls are bare, it's, it's easy to find the happiness, however deep it's hidden 
These days, the system works well for everybody. My clients have a friend who truly cares about them and they pay handsomely for the privilege. I get to travel overseas each year on the bounty of my caring as well as pay the mortgage on my little apartment. I also get the ultimate high when I drag their hidden butterflies to the surface. Yes, the system works well for everybody, especially me. But it wasn't always like this. Thursdays are my favourite day. My morning is crammed full with the same mature ladies each week. Every 40 minutes I visit with a different best friend. All older people carry the wet towel of sadness in some form or another. It's the degree of weight that varies. Mrs Matthews, my 9am, only wears it lightly. She's in her 80s and still has her husband and her marbles. Her light load of sadness comes from the inevitable loss of siblings and lifelong friends. 9.40 brings Marjorie Joan. She's a spinster in her 60s and positively gleeful. Her mood prepares me for the rest of the day. Glee is similar to excitement. They both send more than the gentle tickle of butterflies over my skin. There is nothing gentle about glee. It's short, sharp and astonishing. It's hundreds of beetles in flight, all beating their metallic wings against the roof of my mouth, the skin between my toes, every part of me. It is instant and frantic and very hard to hide my reaction. Glee makes me want to squeal with its infection. My third client of the morning is Miss Clarissa Barnes, or Miss Lola, as she prefers to be called. Miss Lola is almost blank to me, other than an underlying whisper of butterflies that never fluctuates. I assume this is due to the Alzheimer's disease that has rampaged its way through her mind. I cherish the 40 minutes I have with her. I can relax completely. She takes nothing of my own self with her and leaves me refreshed and settled after playing with Marjorie Jones' glee. Unfortunately, I've only had the pleasure of Miss Lola's company for a year now. I wish she had walked through my door three years earlier. That way, I would never have met Nola Bruce. I teased and pruned Nola Bruce's hair for three very long, painful years. It's not that I didn't like her personally. Quite the opposite, in fact. She intrigued me. On the surface, she was all bright and shiny, like a, a new Japanese car. She was warm, kind and friendly with a saccharine smile you couldn't help returning. Her manners were impeccable. She knew all my staff by name, even Amy, my apprentice. She brought flowers on my birthday and good wine at Christmas. But every Thursday morning when I sat her down for a consultation and ran my fingers through her fine 78-year-old hair, 
all I wanted to do was vomit. You see, Nola Bruce was what I call a show bag. Like the sort you get at the Royal Melbourne, all fun and sparkles on the outside. But when you look inside, there's nothing but cheap, nasty crap. Grief, guilt, remorse, depression. They were all there in spades, along with a good dose of hatred, fear, and her strongest emotion of all, bitterness. Bitterness is brutal. It hits my jaw like a white-hot cattle brand. Scorchingly acute, it almost brings me to my knees if I'm not expecting it. The simmering fury of bitterness moves swiftly from my jaw to my teeth. The cattle brand morphs into claws, feral and unrelenting. They grasp and pull at my teeth, striking first at my back molars. They spread with each flick of my fingers through her hair to the next tooth, a a stampeding cancer in overdrive. So why didn't I just palm Nola Bruce off to one of my staff, even an apprentice? Put simply, I couldn't. She wouldn't. She had this weird attachment to me and refused, always politely, to let anyone else do her more than basic round brush blow wave. If I was sick, she'd cancel. If I had holidays, she'd cancel. If I tried to make her appointment for another day or time, she would oblige. If I purposely ran late, she didn't complain, and I would just bugger up my timing for the rest of the day. If I tried to make her booking with someone else, she just refused. Only I could do her hair properly. Talk about driving a girl to drink, or drugs, or both. The physical pain I felt when I did Nola Bruce's hair was not what I dreaded the most. It was the total and complete absence of happiness. Everyone has a tiny increment of happiness. It's how I get my kicks, dragging that increment to the surface where I can touch it. Everyone, that is, except Nola Bruce. She was just so filled up with all the bad stuff, she'd forgotten about butterflies altogether. I tried everything to find them. Every angle I knew, I put every people skill I ever learnt to work probing, prying, searching for the reason her happiness had taken permanent leave. She disturbed and fascinated me. She was my greatest challenge, my own private Everest. I'd do anything it took to get my hit from her. Hint. They say love and hate are the most powerful emotions. I beg to differ. Ask anyone in a 12-step program. Although not technically an emotion, addiction triumphs over all her competitors. I began researching Nola Bruce in earnest after a year of living with this torture. I made notes at the end of each Thursday morning appointment, gathering together any information she offered. 
Never once did she blankly refuse to answer one of my incessant questions, but she didn't offer anything up without prompting either. This is what made her so different to anyone else I've ever touched. People like to talk about themselves. She did like me to ask questions. In return, though, kind of a quid pro quo sort of deal. I knew she was a long-time widow. I knew she'd also lost her only son in early childhood. I knew that she was highly educated with two degrees to her name. I knew she lived alone and hadn't travelled outside Australia. In turn, Nola Bruce knew Cyrus and I grew up with a slightly crazy mother and an absentee father. She knew I hated the smell of fish, but loved a good meal of garlic prawns. She knew I didn't date, although I never told her why. How do you explain that you can feel your blind date just isn't that into you? Even worse, that they are so consumed with lust... My earlobes break out in a sweat, not to mention the other side effects lust has on me. I gave Nola Bruce as much of my personal self as I dared, but she still didn't give me all of her. She didn't give me the opening or opportunity to ask the direct questions I needed to. Of course, I knew that much of the sadness and bitterness would be from the loss of her family, but I didn't know any details about their deaths. I was sure this was where the secret to her misery lay. I just had to figure out how to unlock it. I decided to try a different tack. Maybe if I couldn't catch a milligram of happiness from her, I could create it for her artificially. Even if there was a lone, solitary butterfly hiding within this damaged soul, I was going to find it. I knew that it would be the best I had ever encountered. I endured so much pain in searching, it became my obsession. I made sure the apprentices pampered her with extra-long scalp massages. I insisted she try out the latest conditioning treatments, free of charge. I surprised her with cupcakes and a few free highlights for her birthday. On the outside, she was so appreciative, so charming and grateful for the special attention. On the inside, there was not a beat, nor a tickle. There was no happiness at all in Nola Bruce. I became more and more obsessed. I knew it, was conscious of the fact that I was turning my search for her happiness into my personal quest. It was my holy grail, a seemingly unattainable crusade. The happiness hits I received from any other clients, my staff and brother, became insignificant. Even Marjorie Jones' glee didn't seem to quite do it for me anymore. For three long years I endured weekly pain, both physical and mental. The answer finally came easily. 
and obviously one evening after a bottle of good white. Mulling over the information I had gathered on Nola Bruce, I realised I had not looked in the most obvious place of all. The internet. I will never make a detective. Surely that should have been the first step in my investigation. There were exactly 23,104 results on Google for the name Nola Ann Bruce. My Nola Bruce. The fact that I had wasted three years for such a simple answer made me want to spit. But maybe that was the point. Maybe it had been the thrill of the challenge all along. I knew immediately what I needed to do. I could taste the syrup of victory already. The morning after my revelation was a Wednesday. I woke happy and contented, if a little hungover. I'd slept better than I had for three years. Wednesday is my day off. It makes up for working late on Thursday nights and Saturday mornings. That particular Wednesday, I enjoyed a leisurely breakfast of crumpets, fruit and yoghurt. I took a long shower and then got out of my apartment for the day. I had things to do and it was time I gave myself a treat. I bought a cute summer dress and ruby red ballet flats. I dropped by Cyrus's studio to pick up some things and invite him out for lunch. We ate dim sims and chips on the esplanade and laughed until our bellies ached. For the first time in so long, I made my own butterflies that day. Thursday morning brought both excitement and trepidation. I was finally going to find Nola Bruce's happiness. The day was going to be warm, so I celebrated by wearing my new dress and flats. Mrs Matthews was as lovely as ever, giving me a small brush of butterflies as she left, happy with her shampoo and blow wave. Marjorie Jones' gleeful beetles were in full swing and I was more than a little grateful for their energising jolt. I was in such a good mood that I made sure both she and Mrs Matthews were treated with our new luxury conditioning mask. Their ten-minute scalp massages sent the sweet scent of honey and almonds wafting through the entire salon. By the time Nola Bruce arrived, I was skipping with nervous anticipation. I was a drug addict, about to get my best ever hit. I sat her down at my workstation by the staff room door, being extra careful not to brush against her accidentally. I didn't want to spoil the effect for later. I couldn't afford the slightest chance that her claws of bitterness would attack me before I was ready. I didn't want any distractions. Nola Bruce's happiness was all that mattered. After our initial greetings, I sent her off to the basin with Amy for an extra long shampoo. She loved the new conditioning mask and massage that followed. I made her one of her favourite flavoured lattes and popped in my special ingredient. I even served it on a paper doily with three pink 
sugared almonds off to the side. Comb in hand, I braced for the hit of bitterness and despair that was thankfully muffled to more of an ache by the residue left behind by glee. I wound the setting rollers in record time and watched her take the first few sips of the slightly cool latte. Nola Bruce didn't like her coffee too hot. She liked to be able to drink it straight away. Hint. An invaluable people skill is remembering the small things about someone, such as how they take their coffee. It makes them feel special. She finished her latte just as I lowered the overhead dryer. Her cheeks were a little flushed, so I asked Amy to make another cool coffee. I took my time rinsing and neutralising the first cup in hydrogen peroxide before accidentally smashing it to pieces on the cement tile floor. It was while I was sweeping up the ceramic shards that the commotion began. Amy was calling me. It only took a few seconds to stuff the broken pieces of the cup under the pile of hair in the rubbish bin. But those few seconds were worth it. By the time I reached Nola Bruce and flung back the overhead dryer, she was hyperventilating. I clasped her hands in mine, drinking in every ounce of fear, confusion and my old enemy, bitterness. I clenched down on my tongue and crunched my teeth together as the cattle brand attacked. I was determined not to let go. The morphing, burning claws were at odds with the freezing ice vest of terror that wrapped itself around my torso. Bull ants fought for running space over my scalp and a blanket of sopping wet sadness suddenly dropped me to my knees. Nola Bruce was choking, ripping her hands from mine to grasp at her throat, then chest. She slipped from the chair as I frantically reached for her again, needing the physical contact to fully succeed. Her eyes bulged at me, condemning and hateful, realising exactly what I had done. She began to shake and then jerk like a landed fish. I held her tight, gasping in agony at the violence of the pins and needles stabbing my hands. Then it just lifted. Her accusing eyes softened as all the violence leached out, leaving only sadness behind. Her contorted mouth slipped into a twisted smile. I'm sure she whispered, thank you, through rose-coloured lips. As Nola Brewster's life slipped away, so too did her sadness. The garment of soaking towels began to quiver and flicker. It rose from my skin and separated into tiny individual pieces. Fluttering gently at first, the butterflies finally took flight. They encompassed and surrounded me. They tickled and invaded. 
they flew through me deep inside like none had ever done before. The butterflies I felt that day were stronger than any others, just as I knew they would be. They were more than happy. They were euphoric, blissful, ecstatic. They were gone. It had only taken a few seconds for me to reach inside Nola Bruce and finally find her happiness. A few seconds for her to die. There was no question in the paramedics' minds when they eventually arrived. She was just another elderly lady whose heart had given out. Their tender hands of sympathy stroked my arm as they wheeled her body out the door. It was then that I knew I was safe. They had no idea who Nola Bruce really was. She had gone by the name Nola Ann Longford Bruce in her younger years. In those days, she was an infamous killer, having poisoned both her husband and young son with potassium cyanide. She had claimed it was an accident that her husband, a jeweller, must have left the cleaning product in the kitchen. She believed the fine white crystals to be sugar. The jury didn't believe her defence, that she hadn't noticed the pungent smell of bitter almonds as she sprinkled a little cyanide onto their porridge every morning. She spent 22 years in jail. The press at the time had branded her a cold-blooded murderer. I knew better. Nola Bruce was happy now, at peace with her long-gone family. I love hairdressing. I love that I can sit someone in my chair and change their life forever. I love that I can always give them what they need even if they didn't know it themselves. My strength is in my people skills. The end. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love your feedback. Subscribe for free to Scarlet Stiletto Bites wherever you get podcasts. And do visit our website, sistersincrime.org.au.